This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Next up, Pro Football Hall of Fame tackle, Ron Mix. I see you went to USC for college. Was that your first choice, or did you have a preference of another college at that time? No, my first choice was UCLA, but only USC offered a football scholarship. So the decision was so easy. <laughs> Why didn't UCLA go after you? <clears throat> well, I actually was a very late developer. And I hope I hope uh, you have a, a lot of young people uh, listening and, and a lot of parents who are raising teenagers uh, just to encourage them that uh, you, you, if you really fall in love with the sport and you put the time in, uh, good things will happen. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll end up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but you'll be very pleased with yourself. Uh, in high school, I was just a very late developer, and I didn't become a starter until my senior year. And then only because the starting end, uh, I was an end at that time, and we played both ways, we played the entire game. But this, uh, the starting end was injured. Uh, it was a six, six team, that's SIX team league, and I made honorable mention. Can you imagine that? That means like, I mean, that's like getting a, that's like getting a participation certificate, uh, in, uh, in 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 some uh, a low form of of, of uh, softball, uh, but uh, I really liked the game, and um, I decided I'm just going to keep trying. I made a plan. I was going to uh, start working out uh, right away as soon as the season was over, and the plan was to go to a junior college for two years and then go to UCLA. That was my dream school, and um, it just happened. I'm sorry you guys opened the door for this long story, but it's an interesting one. It just happened that that year our league was playing uh, an all-star game against another league, and the head coach of the all-star game from our league was my football coach. And it just happened that all of the really good ends that year were juniors. So the coach was literally stuck with me. I mean, I, I bet he never. I bet he thought, I've never seen the words all-star and Ron Mix in the same sentence. And it's happening to me. But I had continued to work out for months and months since the football season ended. <clears throat> I grew taller. I put on pounds. Uh, my speed increased. and I started, I started lifting weights, something all coaches frowned upon. But I thought, how can it be bad to be stronger? I was really one of the few people that were lifting and by the time of the All-Star game in that summer, I literally was the star of that team. And USC happened to see me, and they were the only school that saw me and offered me a scholarship. And then, can I kick, take the story a little further? Keep going. And then, I was so thrilled, I couldn't believe I got a scholarship to the great USC. I was almost embarrassed because... Literally, every one of my high school teammates during my senior year were literally better football players than me. That was prior to my improvement. And so I told myself, I'm going to make SC look good. I'm, I'm not going to have a, a, 
uh, I'm going to work out year round. I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to moderate my life both uh, on and off uh, the field to design just to become a great football player. I'm going to lift weights year round, something that really nobody was doing. I'm not going to have a single alcoholic drink. I'm not going to eat any sweets because sweets at that time, at least the uh, coaches said, were very bad for you, uh, and no soft drinks. And I didn't do any of that stuff. And I mean, I know objectively that uh, I could have had a beer now and then. I could certainly have candy now and then. But every time I consciously refused to do it, it just reminded me of what my goal was. And I just continued to progress that finally my senior year I was uh, captain of the team and made All-American and was the number one draft choice of the Baltimore Colts. But the the New, New England team, the Boston team, had also chosen me in the new league. And, and they traded me to the Los Angeles Chargers because I, I said if I had to go back east, I definitely want to play for the Colts, not a new league. Anyway, that's the long story. You guys sorry you asked? See what oh, we got all the time in the world. So you were co-captain with Willie Wood, right? <clears throat> yep. And he was yes. the first African-American quarterback at the Southern Cal. Um, yeah, it was kind of interesting, too, in that, uh, I mean, what was interesting, you know, you got to remember the times that these were. This these are in, this was in the late 50s. And Willie and I were captains of the team at a time when uh, 99.5% of the fraternities would not permit us to be members because Willie being black and me being Jewish. But uh, our essentially white Christian teammates uh, decided we were the right guys to lead them and made us their captains. I mean, it's an example of how sports has really been one of the main reasons for and most influential reasons for uh, races and religious religions, the barriers falling down. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, because with Minnesota, Bobby, what, uh, they had Bobby Bell there, and your quarterback uh, was black also. Sandy Stevens. So was your line coach Al Davis at Southern Cal? I was in the end, uh, first two years at Southern Cal, and Al was my position coach at the end, and then then I was, uh, my eyes started going bad, so I couldn't see the ball. Uh, not a good thing for an end. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, uh, they switched me to tackle and my coach was the Hall of Fame, uh, center from the New York Giants, Mel Hine. Okay. Not bad. What was, what was Mel Hine like? He was, he was great. I mean, he was just, see, you guys weren't around at that time, so you didn't know how college coaches acted. They acted like mad fools. I mean, everything was screaming, yelling. Uh, we were on the practice. There was no no limits to the amount of time you'd have to be on the practice field in those days. We were on the practice field two and a half, three hours. Every drill was full speed contact, and uh, again, they like say screaming, yelling all the time. <clears throat> Except for Mel Hine, and to a lesser degree, Al Davis. They were just a little more cool and collected. So you were mentioning Mel Hine, and then you said. Um that you had uh, Al Davis and John McKay were all out there at uh, USC at the time? Yes, yeah. And, um, and of course, uh, 
John McKay, who just went on to be one of the great ones. Uh, uh, Don Clark took over the team when it had just been hit with uh, sanctions. Uh, for the school was penalized uh, severely for for doing something that that just was fair as could be, paying the players under the table. What is wrong with that? Were they supposed to get paid? Right. I mean, I, I mean, please. The, I mean, the, you know, they talk about the, the universities giving a, a, that it's sufficient for athletes to just get uh, the education they get at universities. But I have to tell you, the truth is, and, and USC is a great university. But the truth is <clears throat> that the universities take up so much of your time, and your focus changes, unfortunately, uh, for most people. Uh, and uh, and you're thinking football more than academics. That you, act, for more, for the most part, you leave the you leave your university with not much of an education. Those days, because they took up so much of your time. Now, now I think they're restricted to uh, like 20 hours per week of taking up a player's time in, in practice and meetings. Hugh McElhaney said he had to take a pay cut when the 49ers drafted him. Washington was paying him more money. <clears throat> you know that was probably true because, uh, you know, it, it, it probably really was true because um, I'll bet uh, he's older than me. I'll bet I'll bet uh, uh, he didn't get more than maybe six thousand dollars his first year. I know I was the number one draft choice of the Colts, and, and they offered me a you know, one thousand dollar signing bonus in a. Uh, a one-year contract at seventy-five hundred, and 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 that was pretty good money in those days. I mean, it was far more money than the average person made in America. Right. But um, you know, it, it it wasn't retirement money by any means. And sort of to, to show that Southern Cal wasn't playing paying players under the table. Don Clark goes one and nine in his first year. Right. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> and uh, uh, and then uh, I forgot I forgot what our record was the second year I think maybe four five and one. That's what but the, the third year he had uh, built a good team, and we were eight and zero until uh, our, we lost our last two games to Notre Dame and uh, and UCLA. And to show you how petty I am, uh, when I was at SC, we lost to Notre Dame all three years. And I still can't get over it. I root for them to lose at everything. I still can't get over it. I mean, I'm Exhibit A that men never grow up. Well, that's the sense of it. While you were at Southern Cal, Monty Clark was was the captain the year the year before you, right? Yes, he was. Yeah. What was he like? Uh, Monty was a uh, first of all a terrific guy. Uh, outstanding football player and extremely funny. I mean, back then he was. I mean, and he could do he could he could do impressions. Back then he did an Al Davis perfectly. I mean, he, 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 Monty was just uh, a pleasure to have as a teammate. Al had to be upset that he didn't get the job that it went to John McKay though. I, I would think uh, I would think he probably was ex- upset because he um, he had a grand opinion of himself, but it was justified. He was a he was an outstanding coach even then. He was so young. I mean, when I first met Al, 
uh, was in the uh, the locker room, and um, I was uh, doing uh, leg lifts on the bench. I mean, standing on the bench and going up and down to build up uh, my legs. And uh, and Al said uh, he came over and said, uh, uh, "Do you lift weights too?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, I do." Although although uh, the coaches don't recommend it, but I think it's important. He said, yeah, I do too. And uh, I thought he was a player. He, he looked that young. I thought he was another player. <clears throat> and uh, uh, and he introduced himself uh, and uh, as a coach, and it would surprise me. But he was, Al was, Al was, he's a terrific, terrific guy. He did, has done more for former players than any other three owners combined. And that's not an exaggeration. He's given more guys retired well when he was alive, obviously. But he uh, gave more guys jobs uh, in coaching, in scouting, in the front office, former players, than really any other three owners combined. And there was never a time if I didn't, uh, when I brought to his attention that one of his former players needed some financial help that he didn't come through. Now, a, a couple more of your SGA teammates were Marlon and Mike McKeever, who became the first set of twins to be All-Americans. And I remember their, it seeing their picture on, that must have been Sport Magazine or Sports Illustrated or something, you know, crew-cut kids and all that stuff. Could you tell them apart? No, I could not tell them <laughs> apart. And uh, but they were they were truly great football players. The, the McKeever twins and and me were I, I think the only ones who were lifting weights uh, on that team. I mean, SC didn't even have a weight room. We worked out at a gym called Red Path Gym in Inglewood, California, which is about oh, about 15 miles away from the SC campus. And um, I'm going to sound this is going to sound so immodest, but we were so much stronger than everybody else, uh, including anybody we played against. It was like a a total mismatch. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, we could um, we could we could military press over our heads uh, uh, 300 pounds, wow. and people would be playing again. In those days, guys didn't weigh that much. You know, we 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 all weighed about 225, and uh, Guys would be playing against would be anywhere from uh, 190 to 250, and what a what a bunch of confidence it is to know that if you wanted to, you could pick them up <laughs> and military press them. Who was on those Notre Dame teams you lost to? Because that was what uh, right after Hornick or was Pulse? You know, uh, all I remember I remember Nick Bunacani. Uh, uh, I just don't remember. I don't remember uh, who else was on the teams. I think Monty Stickles was on the team. Was on uh, the, oh. the. He was a senior at the time. I was a sophomore. I think Monty Stickles was on the. I know. I mean, I know he was. And I think Nick was maybe a, a junior at the time. I was a senior. George Iso was the quarterback because uh, he went number two in the NFL draft to the Chicago Cardinals. So. He was on that team. Yeah. 
So they, they had some players. Now, for Los Angeles... Well, they, well, they always did. They always yeah. did. But the, but the truth is also that um, they um, they had a national audience all the time. And, uh, I mean, they got great tradition. Uh, but the truth is that uh, many of their players were very overrated simply because they got more than other people. Now, if the Rams had drafted you instead of Baltimore, you think you would have ended up with them? Yes, I wanted to stay on the East Coast. I mean, on the West Coast. That was my preference, and I wanted to. I wanted to start off in the NFL, not the AFL. But that Baltimore team was just loaded. I mean, you had John Unitas, Lenny Moore, Raymond Berry, Jim yeah, Parker on that line. Camps. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think uh, uh, I think I could have broken the starting lineup. I mean, I'm 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 very confident that I could have. I think you were just taking care of a fellow USC guy, Frank Gifford, since they beat uh, Gifford in the championship. He figured, you know what? I'm not going to that team. <laughs> oh, you know, I'd forgotten about that. I'd forgotten Frank about hasn't. that. <laughs> see, see, we do hold grudges. Frank has gotten over that. I've never gotten over Notre Dame beating us three times. Frank insists he got that first down twice, and Donovan and Barry and all of them said we, they took lasers and measured. He was short both times. Wow. So you signed with the Los Angeles Chargers, and, and what was your introduction there? Frank Lady's the general manager, Sid Gilman's the coach, and Darren Hilton's the owner. Yeah, Don Klosterman was director of player personnel. Don forgot to tell me that when uh, when he uh, called me up out of the blue and introduced himself uh, and and uh, said that uh, uh, I, I might want to meet with him for to give advice on uh, uh, in the signing process of uh, of the of the two leagues. So I'm telling Don everything about the Colts. The, 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 and all along, he's 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 secretly the director of player personnel for the Colts. So you go to training camp. A simple transition from college to the pros. Yeah, I'd only intended to play a couple years just to get enough money to buy a car and a house. Um, because uh, I mean, the FC practices, like I told you, were like two and a half, three hours, constant contact, uh, all sorts of pressure all the time. And, uh, you know, it really, and I didn't play in my last two years, I didn't play like a, a skill position, so I never touched the ball. It's not like you're having fun. So all you, you know, what you get out of the game is the satisfaction of, of doing a good job. But my gosh, it's so, so difficult. And, uh, <clears throat> so I decided I was going to play two more years of this game. But then, in the NFL, or, the, well, both leagues, you only play, you don't no longer play both ways. You don't play the whole game. And, uh, it was so easy playing, oh. playing offensive tackle was honestly it was just so easy that, I mean, I just, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, and, and also because I worked out year round, I was in great shape. So, uh, at any rate, I, I, I found the joy in the game again. 
How could you not find the joy? I mean, you play in a championship game at 63, you win 51 to 10. Yeah, and you know what? The score is misleading. We beat him worse than that. <laughs> and the game wasn't that close. I mean, it was just like complete domination. I mean, what was interesting is that everybody played their A game. You don't, you don't, you don't get that. But everybody played their A game. It was just unbelievable. I, I mean, uh, uh, Keith Lincoln had something like 347 uh, total yards running and catching passes. Uh, Lance Allworth had about 120 yards receiving. Paul Lowe had over 100 yards rushing. It was uh, just amazing what we did. And the defense was just unreal. We had two <clears throat> two defensive linemen. That really don't get enough historic attention, Earl Faison and Ernie Ladd. And for about a four-year period of time, those guys played the game, their positions, as well as anybody's ever played. And I mean right up to the present day. Ernie Ladd was 6'9", 340. Earl was 6'5", 280. And just great, great athletes. And absent absent injuries, which cut short their effective careers, uh, they'd both be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What was it like going up against those guys in practice? Oh, well, you know, they were a load. They really were a load. All it would do would make you better. Yeah, I just remember Ernie also uh, did a little wrestling during his heyday. And he was like the, the largest man I'd ever seen in a wrestling ring. Yeah, the, the giant cat, and he was, uh, uh, he wrestled for over 20 years. Yeah. How did you get the nickname the Intellectual Assassin? Well, I was going to law school at night while I was playing, and then, and, and also for a, uh, offensive lineman, I had a, uh, a, an aggressive style of playing. I did a, a lot more attacking than just dropping back. And so my offensive line coach, Joe Madrow, gave me that nickname. I, I, I used to think it was, I mean, at the time, I thought it was kind of silly and contrived. Now I really like it. I think what's most remarkable, remarkable about your career is you were only called for holding twice. How is that humanly possible? Yeah, how could those referees make that mistake? That's, <laughs> I mean, how much did, how much did you have to pay the officials to, to look the other way? You know what? I didn't hold. I really didn't, and, and I really wasn't being facetious when facetious when I said, "How could those referees make the mistake?" <laughs> I really didn't hold. Those were two bad calls. <clears throat> Here's the thing. This sounds holier than thou, but uh, I don't know how you can take satisfaction in in doing a job well if you cheat. That's just the way I felt. And now it's it's more like a sumo match when uh, when the offensive line and the defensive line get together. Yeah, and also Joe Madro, my line coach, he used to tell us offensive linemen when anybody did hold, he said he'd be screaming and say, you know what, you're never going to make 15 yards on offense in your whole life. You never touch the football. <laughs> And so I, that was always ringing in my ear, too, that I'd never really gained 15 yards, so I shouldn't cause the team to lose 15 yards. Did you ever go up against Deacon Jones and get head slapped? 
Yeah, we played against each other three times. And uh, the first time I give to him. and uh, But then the next two times I give to me. I think I figured out the I think I figured out the head slap and uh, uh, I just figured out that when he's reaching out to slap uh, attack as and um, um, the next two times uh, uh, I thought I played very well against him. In fact, Monty Clark uh, uh, after the second time I played against him. Uh, uh, the Cleveland Browns were going to play the Rams the next week. And so Monty saw the films, and Monty called me up and said, he said, Ron, that's the best I've ever seen anybody play against Deacon. But Deacon, Deacon, Deacon would, would never concede that he, that he was ever beaten. I heard him on the radio once, and they asked, uh, uh, asked him, uh, who was the toughest offensive lineman you ever faced? He says, I don't know because I never faced just one. They always put two people on me. <laughs> I mean, but he's John, Deacon is so funny. I mean, he's such a d- terrific guy. It's so funny, but he'd never admit that that anybody ever beat him. Now, initially, Jack Kemp was the quarterback with the Chargers, and then Sid Gilman tries to hide him on waivers or something, and he gets claimed and ends up with Buffalo. Do you ever think to yourself, you know, if Sid had just held on to him? We wouldn't have lost those uh, two games to the Bills for the AFL title. You know, I never gave that a thought, not a single thought. Now, now you've told me something. I'm, now I'm going to get disturbed because you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have. I don't think we would have. I mean, he, he Jack was a terrific quarterback, and he did a great job for them. Jack was an interesting guy. He was... Uh, uh, of course, you know he became a U.S. congressman, and and he actually was on the ticket by, with uh, I forgot I forgot who, but he was on the ticket with uh, uh, for, for to be elected vice president of the United States. And uh, um, but when I played when I played with Jack, he was he was far more conservative than he. Than he eventually turned out to be, as as his thoughts progressed. And uh, for instance, he I mean he believed that uh, we should do away with Social Security. People should just uh, have them uh, should just take care of them. Make sure they take care of themselves. Wow. And uh, uh, so I remember Jack and I had a discussion about that. And I said, Jack, uh, I said, it just doesn't work. I said, like. When I grew up, my mom and dad were divorced when I was four, my brother five. We were on welfare uh, the whole time. And uh, uh, when my mom did work, it was uh, making like 25 cents an hour as a waitress. And uh, uh, are you telling me that if she, that someone like her, uh, if they had a, a chance to spend a dime on their kids or put it away for their retirement, They'd put it out, wait for the retirement. It wouldn't happen. Anyway, so then, then we, then Sunday comes and we're playing the Houston Oilers and it's like 98 degrees in San Diego. It's just hot. They were a tough team. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> so comes halftime. We're walking to her, uh, uh, to, uh, 
uh, what do we call those rooms? I forget. Uh, uh, whatever. The locker room? The locker room, yeah. We're walking to the locker room, and, and uh, uh, I hear Jack say, Ron, Ron, I want to talk to you. And I think he's going to ask me, uh, you know, would a, would a quick toss around the end work? Or do you think you could hook the guy? Something like that. He says, uh, you know, I've been thinking about what you said, and you're right about that Social Security. <laughs> what? Jack, we're in the middle of the game. I'm exhausted. What are you talking about? <clears throat> but he he was just so obsessed with with politics and public affairs. I mean, that's a, that was like Exhibit A of just how obsessed he was. Middle of a football game. He's thinking about our discussion. Yeah, he was the vice presidential uh, nominee under uh, yeah, Bob, Bob Dole. Dole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gilman wanted John Hadel to be the quarterback, but you guys won the championship with Tobin Rote, who had who had played in the NFL. He'd gone to Canada and he came back, and he's he's thirty five years old. Did was there any any inkling that he was going to help you guys win a, an AFL title? Uh. Which Tobin or, or Tobin, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean right away, absolutely right away. He was just he just had an immediate grasp uh, of the game and was just so slick. And uh, he, uh, but his arm was going. I mean he made he made Lance Allworth famous because uh, because he'd throw those big floaters that would fall short and Lance would have to come back and <laughs> and, and jump like a deer. Dare I say Bambi? Jump like Bambi, which was Dan Lance's nickname, as you know, uh, to catch uh, the balls. Uh, but Tobin's, and by the next year, Tobin's was, arm was just completely gone, and, and John had to take over. And But John needed that year to develop. Well, he, he Who was the toughest? Hato wasn't a passing quarterback at Kansas, which, you know, I, I was amazed. That he had the success that he did. Uh, yeah, you magic. Well, he was a brilliant coach, but I mean, John, John just had it, and, and Sid, Sid, Sid saw enough of him in college that he felt he could play quarterback, and uh, and, and John's passing skills just developed. I mean, they, they kept improving every year, and. Uh, uh, but but you know it was my recollection of how John developed into a quarterback that made me think that Tim Tebow would develop into one. But boy, was I wrong! <laughs> the guy can't throw. No, well, he's got the arm strength. He just no accuracy. Yeah. Bobby Douglas had the arm strength. <laughs> another another Jayhawk, but you know he didn't have the touch or the accuracy either. Takes takes a lot. Who was the toughest guy you went against? Deacon. Deacon was a Deacon was a great player. Uh, Bubba Smith was outstanding. Uh, uh, Kansas City had a terrific end named Jerry Mays. New York Jets had a terrific end named Jerry Philbin. Uh, Denver, for uh, a short period of time, had a terrific end named Get This Tombstone Jackson. <laughs> and uh, they were just. You know what? The truth is, everybody's tough. I mean, 
football is the hurt business, and it's impossible. It's impossible not to have a giant collision on every play. I mean, it's everybody's tough. Did you enjoy the wide open style that Goldman's offense was? It was thrilling because we just felt we just felt we'd score any time. I mean, we just had explosive people. You know, Lance Allworth and Don Norton and and uh, uh, Keith Lincoln and uh, and Paul Lowe and uh, uh, gosh, I can't even remember all the ones. Uh, we had a terrific running back, Dickie Post and Brad Hubbard, and uh, and, and at all times uh, the threat of the deep pass because of Sid Gilman's offense. Guys, I gotta have to leave soon. No problem. A couple more questions. I see that Gene Klein retired your number, then unretired it because he hated the Raiders when you went there. Did he ever get it retired again? Yeah, Gene, I, I complained to uh, uh, Pete Roselle, and Pete ordered them to retire it, so they retired it. And then two years later, they brought it back, and by then I was, I don't know what, I just was tired of the whole thing, so I didn't do anything about it. When you went into Canton, what what was that like? Uh, you know, I'm not sure I really appreciated it immediately. When I was first called up about it, I was just thinking, oh, another honor. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that sounds blasé, but I, I didn't really think about it. I didn't really understand it. Um, I didn't have a full appreciation for it until <clears throat> that first luncheon at the, that takes place. And, um, when I was inducted every year there's a luncheon just for the players and the players <clears throat> stand up and <clears throat> say something about themselves and talk about interesting things in their lives and what was important to them and to, to hear the guys talk so elegantly I mean these great legends of uh, professional football uh, you know like Gino Marchetti and and uh, 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 Paul Hornig and and um, I mean, there's just so many of each standing up and and the, the whole thing just kind of I don't know what just came to life for me though. I thought, wow, I'm I'm in the Pro Football Hall of Fame with Jim Brown, yeah, with Gino Marchetti. I mean, it was just uh, you know Bob Waterfield, Norm Van Brocklin. I must be as good as them. There's not that many of us in there. True. When you were at USC, I know Frank Gifford mentioned that he saw um, John Wayne all the time. Did John Wayne take you under his wing? I never saw John Wayne there. <laughs> never. I, I checked the facts. I, I checked Frank's story. <laughs> I said he's the one who got him into acting. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he said at USC because I guess uh, Frank or John Wayne went there back in the, the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> See, now the McKeeper twins ended up in a Three Stooges film. How come you didn't? Well, yeah, just uh, I think <laughs> SD started flirting with that with that preferential treatment again. After those penalties, let's see if we can get away with something. I know we'll give we'll give certain guys the cool jobs during the summer. Yeah, the, yeah like, I mean, they really did take different. You know, the rest of us really, the McKeever twins were 
their jobs were at the, like the studios because they were the most recruited two players in America. And, uh, their jobs were at the studios and the rest of us were, it was called punking iron. We were, we were, uh, and they were laying in cement on the LA river. And so we were working construction. We would carry these like very heavy iron bars that would then be set to, for them to tie before they, in grids and before they laid the cement. They, they treated us a little differently than McKeever <laughs> twins. They did that too with Ron Gary. Ron said that he never saw O.J. Simpson or Mike Garrett other than at practice. Uh, well, see. see. <laughs> so no respect for the offensive linemen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and, and, and Ron was a was a great player. He must have been really highly recruited. He should have asked for more. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I'd like to thank our guests, Slick Leonard and Ron Mix, and, of course, you out there in cyberspace who hopefully enjoyed the show as much as David and I enjoy doing it. So tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. 